My name is Thomas. I'm an alcoholic. I'm going to adjust this. Can y'all hear me all right? I'll just obsess about that microphone not being there if, if it's not there. So I'm glad that we took care of that. Um, I always get really excited to see a lot of alcoholics gathered in a meeting, um, except for when I'm speaking. Um, <laughs> this is not my favorite um, part of service, but um, I was told not to say no to AA if I could help it. Um, more than anything, I was really excited to hear what Drew would have to say about me. Um, he asked me to speak, and I said, yes, but you have to introduce me. And he said, fair is fair. I asked Drew to sponsor me about a month ago, and he hasn't said yes yet. Um, so uh, I've been calling him every day, and I think I missed two times calling him, and then he um, asked me to speak. So um, I'm going to call him tomorrow. Um, uh the last time I was here, my last sponsor spoke, so hopefully this meeting isn't a curse for me. Um, just kidding. Uh, sometimes I'm really bad at delivering jokes. Anyway, um, my sobriety date is July 11th of 2008. Um, I have a home group. It's the Young People's Group. I love my home group, and I'm not talking about the meetings that we have. I'm talking about our home group members and what we're doing for AA or trying to do. Um, I'm surrounded in that home group with people who build me up, um, who are focused on not just helping alcoholics who walk through our door, but any door in Alcoholics Anonymous. And because of that, we place a strong emphasis on supporting our district and intergroup. And I'm just, I'm totally bragging on my home group because I think we're doing a great job of that. And we're on fire um, for that. And I, I leave that group feeling excited um, and and. And that's something that if you don't have in your life, it's, it's something that's really helped my sobriety. Um, I have a sponsor, I think. Drew, you're my sponsor? I finally am to say yes. Uh, <laughs> he has a sponsor who I know that guy's name, and I, I don't believe I've met him, um, but I'm pretty sure that that guy probably has a sponsor. I sponsor three guys right now, and um, I just left reading the doctor's opinion um, with one of them who's pretty new, so that's awesome. Um, and that's been um, a game changer for me recently. Um, my um, story involves things other than alcohol. I was raised in AA to respect the traditions. Tonight you're going to hear about the alcohol because to me unity is extremely important. Um, and it will ruin someone else's chance of getting sober if I decide that that's not important to me. Um, that's just what I was taught. Um, you know, and I, I lived that. Um, so I just want to get that out of the way, too. Um, the only reason that I'm here, if you don't hear anything else, is because I've worked the 12 steps and had a spiritual awakening. Um, because of that, I have a power and a relationship with that power in my life that allows me not to drink one day at a time. There's nothing special that I did. Um, there's nothing that's a secret. I worked the 12 steps with a, sponsor, with a few sponsors out of the um, big book that I have with me tonight. Um, and that's why I'm here. Um, anyway, now that all that's out of the way, um, I, uh, I grew up in a town called Gastonia, um, which if you know about Gastonia, you probably know it um, has its good and its bad parts like everywhere. Um, neither of my parents were from Gastonia. Um, one of them, uh, my dad's from Kansas, my mom's from Winston, and they met in Ohio. Um, they moved to Gastonia to take a job. My dad promised my mom it would be five years. They're still there. It's been like 37 years. Um, so 
that's where I was raised. My parents converted to um, Catholicism when I was very young. Um, I found out later that you get a discount if your child's enrolled in Catholic school in Gastonia, if you are also Catholic. Never really asked if that was related, but I'll let you decide, um, you know. And I have one older sister who wasn't immediately thrilled at me coming home, but um, we've grown to like each other a lot since then. Um, and, and man, I, I, I have no traumatic, um, I have nothing traumatic about my childhood or my adolescence. Um, totally normal. I got absolutely everything that I ever could want. I just was discontent from the start. And, um, you know, because of that, my, I didn't feel like I got everything I wanted, but my parents, um, took very good care of me and my sister. I had access to an excellent education, um, just no childhood trauma. Um, you know, I excelled in school until about third grade, which is not saying a lot. Uh, uh, we, uh, we had a religion class every day in that school, and I attended mass most days in that school. I was an altar boy, so there was a lot of um, religion and talk of God. Um, when I was in fourth grade, I met the kids up the street um, who smoked cigarettes and had unedited um, Limp Biscuit CDs, um, which you may or may not know what that means. It means that they allow the, the curse words to go on there. Um, and I just thought they were super cool, and I, I, that was the first time I can remember, like, I have arrived. Their parents let them watch wrestling. Like, it was just, they were super cool. And um, I started getting into trouble. Um, I started being really bad at that school. Um, I started to pride myself on being the worst, and from that point on, I spent the, I graduated from eighth grade there, and, um, you know, I spent the majority of that time in a hallway, um, because I was just so disruptive and the class clown, and I always, um, I was just bad. I just started being bad, um, you know, and I only had 30 kids in my grade. We all knew each other. They're like, we weren't big enough to be clicky, and I never felt like I fit in. Um, I can remember telling my mom I didn't have any friends and her being like, what are you talking about? Every, you're friends with everybody. You have to be. But I can remember being in a group um, everyone getting along and not feeling a part of before I ever picked up a drink. Um, I learned how to lie really well before I ever picked up a drink. Um, I learned how to manipulate really well before I ever picked up a drink. Um, at that school, we had to wear uniforms. And the only thing that we could pick out other than our uniform was our shoes. Um, and I remember I would get a brand new pair of shoes and I would just feel like, ah, oh, I was the new cool kid in class. And I would show up to class, and all of a sudden, my shoes weren't good enough. Like, that's, that, that's who I was as a child um, and as an adolescent. At some point at that school, I made the decision, um, and this is from doing a lot of inventory. I didn't know I was doing this at the time. There's a story in the back of the big book that talks about alcoholics change their beliefs to meet their behaviors. And that's absolutely what I was doing. Um, I decided that there wasn't a God and everything that they were teaching me was dumb. And then I started creating all these arguments in my head as to why there's not a God. Like, how could there be a God? And also Darfur, because I'd seen like 20 minutes of a Darfur documentary at the time. Or, you know, like, how would a God allow the Holocaust to happen? You know, like, these were the thoughts that I, I started arguing. And, um, 
I really did like stop believing that there was a God and more so because I was really scared because what they teach you in Catholic school and church is that if you're not doing good stuff, you're going to a bad place. And I didn't, I didn't want that. Um, so anyway, I, um, I graduated from that high school, from that school. And, um, my parents let me go into public high school, which was if you went to private school and got to go to public high school, it was like, Ooh, it's on. Like I can wear whatever I want. I mean, we told each other stories about public school, even though we'd never even been to public school. Like it was a big deal. Um, and in between eighth and ninth grade, I got a job, um, at a restaurant originally as a host. Um, and I really messed that up one night. So they put me on distro, which is where you prepare the dishes to go out to the tables. And I really messed that up. So they put me into washing dishes and I loved washing dishes. Um, I still think about that job sometimes and like when I'm super stressed at work and I'm like, I wish I was still washing dishes with Bud. Bud was the guy that I worked with. Everyone called him Bud because he drank so much Budweiser um, that we just called him Bud. I never even knew that guy's real name. Um, But we would work for like, you know, 20 minutes and break down all the dishes and then we'd sit outside and um, Bud would tell me whatever while he was drinking Budweiser and we would smoke cigarettes and listen to Eminem because Bud really liked Eminem. And um, that was my first job. And um, so one time, uh, back back up, I'm super awkward already um, and um, just kind of by nature, especially with females. And um, at that time, it was like even super more awkward who I am now. Um, and, uh, there was this girl who now, who was probably like 20 years old at the time who I was in love with. I just, she was perfect. And, um, I just was never, I always so scared to talk to her. Um, you know, and so one night Bud invited me to drink with everybody because after the restaurant closed at 11, they would shut it down and everyone would drink inside the restaurant. So they invited me to drink, and this is the first time that I ever got drunk. And um, I remember I drank, I remember drinking the first 40. For some reason, we were drinking 40s um, in a restaurant. Like, I don't, I've never been to a restaurant that serves 40s, but I I don't know if I mentioned this. I'm from Gastonia. Um, And uh, so uh, I remember the first 40, and I remember, I don't remember the second 40. Um, But what I do remember is turning to Bud as soon as that feeling came about me. And I was just reading, um, in the doctor's opinion, that restlessness, that irritability, and that discontent immediately went away as soon as I had the ease and comfort of that drink in me. Um, I immediately was funny. I immediately felt like everything was going to be okay. I immediately was totally content with where I was because I had another 40, um, you know, like, and I turned to Bud and I remember saying this, I'm going to do this every day for the rest of my life. And Bud was like, yeah, that's why they call me Bud. Like, (laughs) you know, welcome to the club. And, um, poor, I hope Bud's sober somewhere. And, um, anyway, I, I was the man, and I mentioned that girl only because after that, like, I started talking to her, and she was just loving me. We were going to date. It was like I, everybody loved me when I was drunk, um, 
And then the next day I showed up and everybody was like, dude, you were a wreck last night. Like, well, you shouldn't, like, that girl told you, like, to stop a hundred times. And we just, like, had to physically remove you. So I had made a complete fool of myself. But just like in school, when I, like, spent time in the hall, it's like I started to pride myself on being the worst drinker um, that I could be. Like, pride myself on being the most messed up every single day and while like that job and whatever other money I could find I didn't get drunk every day I really did try to change the way I felt because I had found a solution to my problem I didn't even know it was a problem I just knew that like getting drunk um, was what I needed to do every day in some form or fashion which when you're 15 years old it's not always easy to get alcohol Um, sometimes you know like I said I would do other things Um, so anyway, I started going to, and my mom later in um, sobriety, um, I always thought that I got fired from that job. My, the across the street or like diagonal neighbors owned that restaurant. And my mom went and told them like, Thomas is in school and he can't come home at 3 a.m. on school nights anymore. Like it's ridiculous. Like, and she'd be like, it closes at 10. What are you having him do for five extra hours? Because I would come in and be like, they made us move the whole oven, Mom. You won't believe this. I spilled all this beer on me, you know. Um, So, uh, of course, like at this point, she's like, oh, Thomas can do no wrong. Um, I had them fooled for maybe like another six months. Um, But anyway, I met some kids in high school. Um, I was pretty popular. I was pretty decent at sports. Um, and I also found kids who, um, were doing the stuff that I really wanted to do. And that's kind of where I started to, to gravitate. Um, my sister at this point is two years ahead of me at the same high school. She graduated as a valedictorian. She was number one on the tennis team. Um, she's just like never done anything wrong her whole life. Um, she's awesome. And, um, I really love her anyway. She used to make me really mad because she never did anything wrong anyway. Um, I uh, I got into this magnet school in Gastonia that's like a technology school. You get in by lottery. When I was a sophomore, I got into it, and I went to that school um, instead of going to this high school, and um, it was a much smaller school, and I remember I was pretty decent at soccer, and I started at soccer on their team. They didn't even have junior varsity. It was only varsity, and I remember um, – just everyone at that school, like, did their homework. It was weird, you know? Like, no one was trying to skip. I was like, let's skip class. And they're like, but then what, how will we learn? And I'm like, wait, what? You know, like, <laughs> no, I'm saying let's not go to school. Like, who cares about learning? <laughs> and um, I remember talking to the guys on my soccer team, like, we're getting wasted tonight. And they're like, we have a game tomorrow. And I'm like, yeah, I get it. I'm on the team. I have the schedule. I'm aware of our game tomorrow. Um, It'll be all right, you know? And they were just like, no, dude, you're out of control. And um, so I told my mom, like, I have to leave this school. It's just not working out. So I left that school. I go back to the old school. And, um, like, within a week, um, I find a guy that um, I, you know, was friends with. And we uh, decided to skip uh, class to... Um, do some extracurricular activities, and um, it was cold outside, and we started checking door handles to see if anyone had left their car unlocked because we were cold and we wanted to smoke weed in someone's car so we wouldn't be as cold. And um, we found someone's car that was unlocked. 
And the next thing I know, the um, resource officer is knocking on the door of this poor person's car. Um, and for some reason, this is like the most honest I'd ever been in my entire life up to this point. Um, they asked us where the stuff was, and I told them, and I told them it was mine. And I don't know why I did that, um, because I, I didn't care about that person or whose car it was or if they got busted for having that in their car. But anyway, I got put in handcuffs, and we're about to march through the cafeteria, and I know that my sister is in there because it's the popular lunch, and I'm like, please do not take me through the cafeteria. Please, 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 please. And the, the resource officer was like, nope, we're going. <laughs> And um, that was the, one of the most humiliating um, things I've ever gone through, I think. Um, and I'd been getting in trouble a little bit with my parents, but, um, and I've been talking to a few people about my um, drinking, um, a couple psychiatrists, I guess, or therapists that my parents made me go to, and I had convinced all of them that I had stopped all that stuff because my mom at some point found stuff in, in my room, and that's... This is all just a little blurry, but I remember walking through um, that cafeteria, and this is how much of a liar I was. Before I was about to walk through the cafeteria, somebody was like, what are you arrested for, Thomas? And I was like, I beat somebody up. I was like 130 pounds in high school. I, like, couldn't beat up anybody now unless they were, like, a middle schooler. Um, you know, like, I, I wasn't beating anyone up ever. And um, uh, But I just couldn't be honest. But I remember walking through there and feeling like you could hear a pin drop, um, just dead silent. And it probably wasn't, it probably didn't go down like that. But I remember everyone just looking at me in handcuffs. And I remember I looked and I saw my sister and she was at the table with like all the super popular people who will be successful later in life. And um, I just remember looking at her and uh, that look on her face today just still gives me uh, chills to think about. Um, just utter disgust um, from, like, someone who unconditionally loves me. Um, and uh, I went to jail. And um, I called my dad. This is my one joke, so pay attention. Um, I called my dad, and I told him I was in jail, and he told me to go have sex with myself. Um, and, uh, I decided to quit drinking when I was in jail. Um, I made that decision. Um, I was going to read the Bible when I got out. I was going to do whatever it took, but this alcohol had caused me way too many problems and I wasn't going to do it anymore. Um, I, I was done. I, I had made a firm resolution to stop drinking. My mom came and picked me up from jail a couple days later. We went and saw a lawyer. Um, and then, uh, I didn't drink, um, for like a week and I got drunk and I could not figure out how that had just happened. Um, it was the only time that I can remember the whole time that I was drinking that I decided to stop drinking when I was sober and I got out and I could not stop drinking. Um, and I immediately dismissed that. I immediately said to myself, why would I want to stop drinking? That would be lame. Like, the problem isn't me. It's that people keep, like, that resource officers kept on checking cars in the parking lot. You know, it's not my fault. Um, so anyway, I got kicked out of that high school because of that. Um, and actually, I got spared a lot of um, stuff. It, anyway, I probably could have gotten a lot more trouble. Um, I started uh, high school at another high school that was even rougher where um, 
Fred Durst graduated, which is um, the lead singer Limp Biscuit. They gave him a high school diploma there, which is where mine's from too. So, anyway, from Gastonia, uh, and uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, it was Valentine's Day, and me. Remember, I said how much of a ladies' man I was. I was alone, um, blowing smoke into a bathroom fan that wasn't on. Um, <laughs> As I was um, as uh, I was out on custody release to my parents for that charge, and um, my dad opened the door and was like, "What are you doing?" And I was like, "Get out of here!" And um, he told me that we were going to go for a ride, and we ended up back at jail. And um, he put me back in jail for a few days because um, I was on custody release because um, that was you know tough love. My parents tried a lot of things to help me. Um, they didn't really know what they were doing, and how could they? Um, but they really did love me and try to help me. Um, that after after I got out, I just I just found a different way to get drunk that wasn't as noticeable. Something that like wouldn't show up on the you know um, screenings that I was going to, and and things just got worse, man. I mean, you all know what it is. I don't. There's not. There's nothing else funny. <laughs> Like, the rest is just, like, sad, dark, me alone in closets, like, drinking my brains out. Um, eventually, my parents got... And I remember one time, my mom sat me down and said, what, what's wrong with you? Why can't you just stop? And I, for the first time, I was super honest and was just like, I don't know. I don't know. And she was like, do you need help? And I said, yes, I need help. And she said, no, you don't. And that was the end of that. Um, like I said, they didn't know any better. Um, you know, but eventually my parents got really tired of me selling their stuff and not giving them the money. Um, so uh, they kind of politely asked me to leave, um, and I left. And that's when things got really bad. Um, I had been working a job, and my dad went and picked up my check from that job. I got fired from that job. I was teaching little kids how to play tennis, and um, I pulled my truck into the parking lot. Open the. I don't remember any of this. I pull. I opened the door and I passed out. Um, and with my feet in the truck and my head on the pavement, as people at the country club were dropping their children off for me to chaperone them all day, um, decided that I might not be the best fit for their children's summer camp uh, tennis teacher. So they asked me never to come back there. So that's what I've done since. Um, you know. Um, but my dad went and picked up my check, and it, I was living in someone's floor because their couch was already taken, um, you know, and I was just out of, out of options, and eventually I got kicked out of that place. Um, I don't really remember what happened. Um, um, somehow I wandered home, and um, I came out of a blackout after being in um, the psych ward in the Charlotte's Children's Hospital. Um, and three days after being there, I came out of a blackout talking to a counselor and was like, where am I? You know, I've been there for three days. And um, they told me that um, all this stuff, and I turned 18 when I was there, which was on June 29th. Um, and I knew the Constitution so well is what I told them that I'd check myself out. Because, of course, in the Constitution, it says when you're 18, you can check yourself out of a psych ward. That's it. That's in the Bill of Rights, I'm pretty sure. Um, so, uh, 
Yeah. So the doctor at that time said, uh, said, I need to talk to you before you leave. And I was like, I don't really have time to talk to you. I'm super busy. I have places to be. I'm in Charlotte. I, don't even, I haven't even figured out how I'm going to get home yet. I don't have a cell phone. I don't have any money. And he um, was like, I just need five minutes. And he told me if I ever drank again, I would develop a wet brain. Um, and I drank after that, so I'll let you decide. But um, he, uh, he told me that. And I was like, great, man. Thanks for the information. Like, I'm going. I'm going to drink. Like, I don't care. You know, and I probably told him I wasn't, but um, that's what I was told. And um, I don't remember very, I got, I got sober on July 11th. And on July 10th, I went home and asked for help. And I don't remember what happened between June 29th, my 18th birthday, and July 10th. Um, but on July 11th, um, I woke up in a state of hopelessness. Um, and that was a place that I had never been before. Every time that I woke up um, or came to, there was another plan for how I was going to get on top. Like, I only need to break into five more cars. I only need to, um, you know, steal whatever. You know, I'm going to be okay. I'll go get a job at McDonald's. Like, I said that to myself all the time, but I never went and applied, obviously, because I was, anyway, that doesn't matter. Um, you know, like, I woke up, and, and, and for the first time, I had the thought that nothing that I was going to do was going to make my life better. And that was a completely real thought for me that I had absolutely never experienced. I have no idea where that came from. I wish that I could give it to every single person that walks in this door, that total state of hopelessness. I was totally hopeless and beat down, and I was ready to do anything. And that's how I showed up to Alcoholics Anonymous, totally hopeless. Um, I did the only thing that I knew how to do, and I went home and I asked for help. My mom was so scared of me that she talked to me through her bathroom, which was on the second floor. Um, and we waited for my dad to come home. Um, they took me to this place in Charlotte, and the next day I went to an AA meeting. Um, I um, had no idea what AA was about. Um, I definitely did not think that... Um, we were never going to drink. Um, I thought you were going to teach me how to drink um, a six-pack after work. Um, I wasn't 21. I couldn't buy a six-pack, and I had no employment. So I don't know why I thought that was going to happen. Um, but that's how delusional I was. And um, I also had never heard the term alcoholic. Um, or if I had, I dismissed it. I knew what a drug addict was, and I hadn't done crystal meth, so I didn't think I was a drug addict. Um, you know, and, um, I, I, I don't know where I've been living, but I'd never heard, um, a, and, um, I walked into this place in Gastonia called, um, the 12 step club. Um, and it was a two o'clock meeting with a bunch of couches and there were a bunch of super old dudes and they were all asleep. And, um, <laughs> I had my big book from that place in Charlotte and I walked in and kind of tiptoed in. And, um, I mean, these dudes looked ancient. And my first thought was, oh, my gosh, I know why they don't drink. It's because they're old. My next thought was, like, I'm never going to have fun in sobriety um, because this is who's sober. And, um, and I, I thought that that decision that I had made the day before was, like, too quick. And, like, I remember being really unsure. And I remember they all woke up at 2 o'clock, like, without alarms. It's just like they, like, just knew. 
And I think, like, some weird C-SPAN channel was on, like, that nobody watches. Like, somebody arguing a bill about some, I don't know. And um, they were like, who are you? And I was like, I'm Thomas. And um, I was like, I don't really know what this is about. And they told me to sit down and shut up. And I'm pretty sure that I was already sitting down when they told me that. Um, and somebody asked me if I'd read the big book, which I had with me as, like, a brand-new copy from that place in Charlotte. And... Um, I was like, no, not yet. And they were like, what are you doing with it if you ain't reading it? And I was like, God, I just got it like six hours ago. Chill out. And um, I immediately decided this wasn't for me. I wasn't going to do it. And what those men did is they all went around the room, and they each told about a 10-minute version of their story. And um, I don't know about you, but I hadn't felt like a human being in a really long time until I heard those men tell me their story. Um, I just thought I was a piece of shit that was always going to make my mom cry, um, that was always going to just hurt everybody around me, that was just a terrible person. And what I heard from those men in that room that I had never met who were like quadruple or whatever five times my age was, um, you know, were stories of terror, bewilderment, frustration. Um, and what they had to offer me was a real solution. Without saying a word in that meeting, all of those men told my story, um, and not in any type of way close to my circumstances, but in the way that alcohol made me feel and, and what I had been dealing with. They talked about real stuff. They talked about fear. They talked about not wanting to drink, but not wanting to not drink, you know? They talked about all this stuff, and what they told me was that they had a solution, and I was sold. Um, and I haven't drank since that day. Um, you know, I, I was so ready to do what those men offered me. Um, what I found out in that meeting was that I was sick, that I suffer from the disease of alcoholism. That's a twofold illness. I have an um, obsession of the mind and a physical allergy that when I put alcohol in my body, I physically crave more, and that that never happens to somebody who is not an alcoholic. Um, further, what I learned was that when I get sober, like that time in jail when I was 16, and I get out, even though I'm removed from alcohol, I still suffer from the obsession, and I still get drunk. Um, and what I needed was a solution to that. And they told me that the only solution that they had was a power greater than myself, and I could find that in the 12 steps. Um, the, um, one of those old guys, they, just called, they used to call him Mr. Serenity, because all these old-timers would just fight and yell, like, you don't know what you're talking about, and tell me to shut up when I would start talking. And, you know, they were just like, it was great. And, um, but they would call him Mr. Serenity because he kind of calmed everyone down. His name was Dennis Doster, and he died with 46 years of sobriety, and I was there when he died. Um, and he told me to keep helping young people, even though there were no young people where I got sober. But um, to him, young was like, and I'm getting to that, like 40. And um, now that's like, that's young to me now, too. Um, so anyway, uh, he told me that there was another meeting that night where a bunch of young people went. And I was excited to go meet a bunch of young people. And I went to a meeting, and nobody was young. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> But to Dennis, everybody was young, you know? I was like an infant to him. Um, and uh, he, like, drank in the 40s or whatever, you know? I don't know. Maybe not that long ago. And um, I went there, and I talked to this guy, and I don't really remember talking to him. And I don't, I absolutely don't remember 
giving him my address, but I was eating dinner with my parents at 7 o'clock, and we got a knock on the door. Um, my parents had decided to let me live with them again. And um, my dad went and opened the door, and it was this guy, Peter. And I was like, how did you know where I live, man? He's like, shut up and get in the truck. And uh, my mom was like, what are you doing? And he was like, I'm taking your son to a meeting. Um, and she was like, great, let me write down your license number. <laughs> and uh, uh, I got in the truck and I went with him. Um, and, and that's pretty much what happened. Um, I went to a meeting at noon. This was in between the summer of my um, junior and senior year of high school. Um, and, and I went to a meeting at noon. I went to that 2 o'clock meeting where everybody wakes up at 2 o'clock. Um, and then I went to an 8 o'clock meeting, and I showed up at 7.15 with that guy. I shook everybody's hand, and every meeting I went to, I set up the chairs. I made the coffee. People said, you're going to find God in the bottom of that coffee pot. And I'm like, no, I'm not. You, you just want me to clean the coffee pot? We had these, like, archaic coffee pots. They looked like that, but they were, like, 40 times the size, and you would have to, like, carry this water across the church to where it came from. It was crazy. And, um... Anyway, that's what I did. We started working the steps. Um, before I got to AA, um, I pretty much had already worked step one, even though I didn't understand it. My life was unmanageable. I was powerless over alcohol. Those two things work together, suffer from this disease, and that's why I'm powerless over alcohol. Um, it's not a mental or moral choice. Um, it's just something that I um, have um, that, that never occurs with people who aren't drinking. Um, step two for me really was just believing that my sponsor believed. Um, and at the time, like I said, I had this huge resentment against God when I first got here and, um, it didn't really matter what I've been going to this book study because Drew goes to it. And, um, we've been reading and, uh, we agnostics and somebody was talking about how it wasn't that great of an argument. And I was like, yeah, I don't really, I don't remember being convinced by that chapter, I was already convinced before I started reading it that there was a better way. Um, but it makes a lot of good points. And all that I had to do in step two was be willing that somebody else believed. That was enough for me to, to keep going. And we kept reading the book, and I made a decision in step three. My biggest fear about step three was how are we going to keep the books open and hold hands on our knees? Because um, that's how everybody in Gastonia does it. And, um, you know... We, we managed, um, and I remember standing up and thinking in my head, it didn't work because I, I still think you're a jerk, and I'm still a jerk. And um, he said, all right, let's write an inventory. Go ahead and start writing your inventory. And I was like, oh, man, we just worked step three. I'm not levitating yet. Um, I probably need to practice turning my will over. Let's get some situations in my life, and I'll try to turn them over. And he was like, boy, I want you to look up the word next in the dictionary. And I was like, I know what next means. And he's like, mm, obviously you don't. And, um, and it means immediately following according to the dictionary I had. And um, that's what it says in the book right after step three. Next, we launched on a vigorous course of action, first of which is a personal house cleaning. So I started writing an inventory the day I did my third step. Um, he gave me two weeks to do it. I had it done in a month. And... Um, <laughs> We did my fifth step, which took forever because he was the type of guy who um, started a story at A, and A had footnote A1, A2, A3, A4. Then we go to point B, and like, wait, what were we talking about? And he had to remind him what we were talking about. But anyway, 
the FISTA, where I was, in, in Gastonia, in the meetings I was in, it was, it was always shared about as this big, scary thing, that you never want to do a fist step. It's so scary and terrible. And I later found out that everybody that talked about it that way had never done a fist step. Um, you know, and the fist step was one of the most relieving things I'd ever done to that point. Um, you know, in step three, I made this decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. God, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm unable to do that if I have all the stuff that was on my inventory, is what blocks me from being able to carry out that decision. So I have to be rid of that stuff. Um, and that's what we did. We, we read all of it. Um, I got it all out on paper. Then when I shared it with him, I went home and I did six and seven. I had my list from the fourth step of step eight. And I went out and I started making amends. And then my sponsor got drunk with all his sponsee brothers, except for me. <laughs> and, uh, so I got another sponsor, um, obviously, and um, we picked right back up, and this guy was even more of a jerk um, in, like a, in a good way. I would call him, and he'd be like, if you want what I have, do what I've done, or stop calling me, click. And I'd call him back. I'd be like, hey, man, I, I didn't finish telling you what was going on. And he's like, you got to live your way into sober thinking, click. I'd call him back. <laughs> And he'd be like, why are you calling me again? I'd be like, uh, he's like, did you pray about it? I'd say, no, I hadn't prayed about it. He'd click, you know, <laughs> call him back. I prayed about it. No, you didn't click, you know, it's like, <laughs> all right, you know. He told me one time that he was really scared to smoke around me because of how dry I was, um, you know. Uh, <laughs> like after he lit his cigarette, he was like, whoa, I forgot you're here. S scared to smoke around you. Um, Greensboro AA is a lot different um, and uh, I don't know if that's more effective the way that I got sober I don't treat new people like that anymore but that's just how people treated me in Gastonia um, they treated pretty girls a lot different um, anyway uh, the um, I, I kept on with the steps and I was driving with this sponsor I'd been doing 10 and 11 um, and I was making amends and we were driving down this, uh, to Charlotte to go to a 10 o'clock meeting um, because they didn't have 10 o'clock meetings in Gastonia. Um, and uh, my sponsor at the time started asking me a series of questions. Um, and I started answering them. And then I was like, wait, I know what you're doing. Um, and he was like, sounds like you've had a spiritual awakening. Um, and I was super upset that there wasn't a bolt of lightning or a burning bush moment. But... What had happened was from working the steps, I had a personality change that was sufficient to overcome alcoholism, which is how the book defines spiritual experience in one way in the back. And mine was more of an educational variety. And in spite of myself, um, I had that spiritual awakening. Um, and because of that, I don't have to, to drink anymore. And more than that, I've, I've been given all these promises, and I live totally free today. Um, I moved to Greensboro when I was um, two years sober. Um, to go to school, I got a job. I'm still here. I keep getting jobs. Um, you know, keep keeping jobs. Um, so that's why I'm here, and, and this is home to me. I love it. I love our AA community. Um, I tell you, um, the most miraculous thing that's happened to me recently is watching another person experience a spiritual awakening. Um, and it was something that um, I've experienced before with working with another alcoholic, but it just really relit my fire. Um, I'm probably like the absolute worst cook on the planet. 
Um, I can make spaghetti um, by like heating up all the elements and putting them together. Um, that's about it. I make a killer sandwich. Um, but one time I made these really, really, really awesome um, biscuits and gravy. Um, and they were miraculous. I cannot even begin to describe to you how amazed I was that I had made these uh, biscuits and gravy. And I know most of you who like can cook are like, like some of the simplest stuff to make. But it, the whole time I'm making these biscuits and gravy, I'm doing exactly what these directions tell me. And it's like sprinkle the flour. And I'm like, there's no way this is going to work. And I just kept going and I kept going. And out came these amazing biscuits um, just from following the directions. And every step of the way, I did not believe that they were going to come out. I thought I was going to burn them. They were going to taste terrible. I mean, they were like Biscuitville quality, Um, you know. Um, And the whole time, I'm like, these aren't going to be that great, blah, blah, blah. This isn't going to work. I'm going to mess this up blah, blah, blah. And that is the same experience I had working the steps. The whole time I didn't think this thing was going to work. I thought I was going to mess it up. I thought I wasn't doing it right. I couldn't even believe, like, why is writing down a list of all the people I hate going to change anything? Um, You know, um, why is talking to this person, uh, you know, anyway, um, whatever. How is this going to help me? Um, And in spite of myself, I had a spiritual awakening. Um, one day I was on the phone with my sponsor and I told him how much I hated everybody, how everything was terrible, how the whole world was crashing down, how nothing was good in my life. And he said, if things are so bad, why hadn't you drank? And I could not remember the last time I had thought about drinking. And that was not from thinking about not drinking. That was from living my way into sober thinking. Um, I had this sponsee and, um, He worked the steps, and all of a sudden, he just changed, man, right before my eyes. In spite of me, in spite of anything that um, I did or told him, he worked the steps out of the big book with me just kind of guiding him along of what I did. And the next thing you know, that dude's changed, and he's sponsoring a guy right now. And um, I was just, I was talking to him for about a week, like, come on, man, just realize it, because I didn't want to tell him, you know. And I told him. Uh, eventually I just started asking him that same series of questions like do you feel the presence of a higher power around you would you say that you have God consciousness now do you think you have a personality change that's sufficient to overcome alcoholism and then all of a sudden we're on the phone it was it was pretty late in the morning actually um, and he was like oh my god I had a spiritual awakening (laughs) and just freaked out and that lit me on fire man Um, you know, to see another recover before my very eyes. Um, He is out in this world. He is trying to help other people. He is not thinking about drinking. And that's the promise that this program gives us. I'm not going to come back anymore if I don't believe it works. And when I work with another alcoholic and see them recover, I'm sure that it works. And trust me, if that dude can have a spiritual awakening, any of you can have a spiritual awakening. And that's what my sponsor said about me. Um, I'm not special. I've probably broken every tradition, um, you know, um, but I just, I did the work. And what I got was the one result that we promise you in here, which is a spiritual awakening. Um, And because of that, I don't have to drink. And the message that I hope that I've carried tonight is that if you're like me, um, that you can relate to my solution. If you can relate to how I drank and how drinking made me feel, then you can also relate to the solution that I have for alcoholism. It's been a while since I drank. 
And um, today, I'm more sure that I'm an alcoholic because of how well this problem work, this solution works for me. Um, you know how how awesome an inventory is for me. How much going out and working with another alcoholic can help me. Um, and so, if the, if that's something you want, um, we're giving it away here. I really love that there's no secrets. I did it exactly how it says to do it in the big book. Um, I don't know any other way to get sober but this way, and I'm not saying it's the only way, but if you can relate to alcoholism, you can relate to my solution to alcoholism. It's a shared solution that we have in here, and I'm so excited and grateful um, to, to be here and tell you about it, and that's why I'm here tonight. Um, when someone asks me to be of service to AA, I'm here if I can be. Even though I may not like it, I don't really like speaking in front of a lot of people, um, you know, I want people to know that they can have this too um, because that was the message that was carried to me. Um, thank you all so much for being here, um, for paying attention if you did or maybe you didn't. Um, and uh, I'd love to meet some of you after. Um, that's all. Thanks.